Okay. Hi, hello, everybody. Uh, do you hear me? No, let me just get the video. Hi, do, do, uh, does anyone hear me or not hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, great, great. Okay. Okay, well, welcome. And I hope uh, you're all doing well from all the different places that, that you are. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, nice, nice turnout, 24 people. Well, anyway, welcome to virtual Yerushalayim. And uh, the summer session only lasts five weeks. It's always a little difficult uh, uh, for me because it's really a continuous class. This is a share that's been going on uh, for more than 10 years, and it deals with contemporary halachic topics. And uh, often the enrollment of every semester, there's an overlap. So some people who were here last semester are gonna be here for the summer, and some people for the summer are gonna be here for the, in the fall other people come and go. So I do have to apologize ahead of time if uh, some people may have heard some things that I talked about in earlier uh, sessions, simply because uh, we never have a completely new group. There's a constant uh, overlap and overflow. Uh, but uh, we'll try to uh, make it uh, interesting. And I thought uh, we would start with some uh, issues regarding uh, medical ethics, and in particular, uh, the topic I would like to talk about today uh, is uh, organ donation. Uh, this is an important topic. Uh, there have been great, great advances in transplantation surgery over the past uh, 25, 30, even 40 uh, years. And there's also a lot of uh, discussion in the Orthodox community, whether Jewish law permits organ uh, donation, whether it even says it's a mitzvah, or whether the other way around. <laughs> It's something that you should not do. Uh, but the organ donation I want to talk about today is not the one that's heart transplants or liver transplants. Maybe I'll get to that at a later time. I want to talk about the one type of organ donation that you can do while you're still alive and you can do it without dying. Obviously, you cannot give your heart uh, to somebody other than in a romantic way, but you cannot uh, physically give your heart and remain alive. Uh, but the two things you can uh, give, well, there are a few things you can give away and remain alive. One is, of course, blood and bone marrow. And I'll get to that. Uh, the other is kidneys, because God made you with two kidneys, and you can survive with one. So it's, it's entirely possible to be a live kidney donor. And the third is actually very interesting. You can be a partial liver donor, because although you need the liver to survive, but the liver has a remarkable capacity to regenerate with as little as 20% of its capacity. So it's entirely possible for a person to donate part of their liver to someone that needs a liver transplant and they themselves will be able to live with a partial a liver, a, a partial liver that remains. So, tonight, so today's topic is not gonna be talking about desecrating a dead body and it's not going to be talking about can there be resurrection of the dead if somebody takes uh, your heart. I'll save that for uh, next week. But I simply want to talk about the altruistic idea of giving a kidney, giving part of your liver, donating blood and bone marrow in order to potentially save somebody's, somebody's life. Uh, what could be wrong with that? What could be questionable with that? It sounds like a very wonderful thing. And let me tell you ahead of time, 
that the bottom line is it is a very wonderful thing. But but in order to get there under Jewish law, you need to examine some highways and byways, because there are going to be certain subtleties here. Uh, all of us know how important in Judaism is the concept of preservation of life. This is called pikuach nefesh. And we know that saving a life is so important that you're even supposed to violate, it's not even a violation, but what would otherwise be a violation of virtually every mitzvah of the Torah in order to prolong somebody's life. You violate the Shabbat, uh, eat on Yom Kippur, eat non-kosher food, uh, drive, uh, even if a woman is giving birth, we drive her to the hospital because we recognize that a woman going through labor is potentially in a life-threatening uh, uh, situation. So this is called pikuach nefesh. Pikuach nefesh overrides the whole Torah, except there's only three exceptions where a Jew has to give up their life before they transgress. These are called the big three, and they are idolatry or renunciation of Judaism. So if uh, someone goes over to me, puts a knife at my throat and says, convert to Jesus or become Muslim, or I will slit your throat. Unfortunately, a person would have a halachic duty to give up his life before he renounces his Judaism. That's category one. So idolatry doesn't simply mean bowing down to an idol, but it also includes the renunciation of your faith as a Jew. Uh, the second are sexual improprieties. And that would mean if uh, a, an oppressor goes over to me and says, rape this woman or I'll kill you, uh, I would be obligated to die before I would commit a rape. By the way, I don't want to get into all the technicalities. Uh, you'll notice my example was the man is the one being threatened. Interestingly enough, for various technical reasons, if God forbid, it should never ever happen. Uh, if a woman is threatened with her life, unless she submits to a rapist, halacha might actually permit, I'm not saying she should or shouldn't, but halacha might permit the woman to submit on the theory that the woman as rape victim is a passive uh, transgressor. She is not actively doing anything. And as a result, the chiyuv, the obligation of giving of life, might not apply to a woman, but it would apply to a man. So that's the second exception. And the third exception is murder. If I go over to you and I say, kill that innocent man, or I will kill you, you can kill me because I'm threatening your life. You can certainly kill me, but you cannot kill an innocent man to save your life. Because as the Talmud says in the very famous statement, who says your blood is any sweeter or any redder than his blood? Why should you be allowed? You can, I can violate the Shabbat to save a life because saving a life is more important than Shabbat. But how can I violate murder to save a life? Who says my life is more significant than the person that I'm being asked to kill? So as a result, uh, if you have to murder an innocent person to save your life, the halacha is uh, you cannot do so. Right. So these are called the big three. The big three are the three cases where you're obligated to give your life before you transgress. And in Hebrew, they are avodah zarah, idol worship or renunciation of Judaism. 
Giloy Arayot, forbidden sexual offenses. And the third is Shvichut Damim, the spilling of blood, which is murder. But in every other case, uh, you are allowed and even commanded to violate the Torah to save a life. And indeed, there is a mitzvah to save a life. It's not just you're allowed to violate, there's a mitzvah because the Torah says in Vayikra Perak in Leviticus chapter 19, Lo sa'amod al dam re'acha, do not stand by idly over your friend's blood. Meaning Judaism, this is a very important point. Judaism is not only concerned with not harming people. It's not enough after 120 years to say to God, I didn't harm somebody. We have an affirmative obligation to render assistance in any way that I can. If somebody is in physical danger, spiritual danger, economic danger, I'm obligated to do what I can to extricate. So if I simply walk by somebody that's being beaten, when I could have intervened, Maybe I'm not guilty of murder because I didn't physically murder the person, but I'm guilty of the sin of not caring enough to intervene. But here is the fundamental question. To what degree must I put myself in danger to save another person? It's one thing to say, if I'm an Olympic swimmer, let's imagine I, I just, I'm Michael Phelps, I won my gold medals and I'm walking by uh, a pond and a little kid fell into the pond and I could easily dive in and save the kid. If I decide I don't want to do that because my tuxedo is going to get wet, I am certainly a great sinner and I'm guilty of a great evil. But what if I'm not such a great swimmer? What if I could rescue the kid? but it's also possible I'll drown and I'll die. Am I obligated to put myself in danger to save another person? Uh, consider, for example, when you have these uh, crazy people who go into uh, kindergartens or go into schools and start shooting. Remember Sandy Hook a few years ago? So there were teachers who stood in front of the terrorist and they actually took the bullet. Or sometimes in Israel, we have people who will jump on a grenade. We have heroic soldiers who a grenade is thrown into a crowded room. And if it explodes, there might be 20 or 30 or 100 people who will die. And the soldier jumps on the grenade and he gets the full brunt of the explosion. And of course, he's blown to smithereens. But as a result of his act, he has saved many, many people. Does halacha require me to essentially engage in a suicide mission in order to save somebody's life? And what if it's not a suicide mission, like taking the bullet or jumping on the, on the bomb, on the grenade? What if it's just a question of putting myself at risk? Meaning, maybe I'm not going to get killed, but maybe I will. And is there a question of percentage? What if it's an 85% risk you're gonna get killed? Or what if it's only a 15% risk? It's an important question. On one hand, we have this idea that there's a mitzvah to save lives in any way that you can. 
On the other hand, we have another idea that you're not supposed to put yourself at risk. That, by the way, is also a halacha, which is a very interesting halacha in and of itself. The Torah says, you yourself are not supposed to take unreasonable risks. So if any of you are bungee jumpers or you engage in extreme sports, there's at least a halachic question. Are you allowed to do so? Of course, that itself is an interesting question. What is called a risk? Somebody told me a few years ago that uh, bungee jumping is actually a very safe sport and the risk of, of getting hurt or killed in a bungee jump is less than driving a car in regular highway conditions. So I don't know one way or the other. Uh, but the question therefore becomes, how do you balance two halachic imperatives? Halachic imperative number one is, I'm supposed to try to save a person's life if I can. Halachic number two, halacha number two is, I'm not supposed to put my own life in some unusual risk. So the question is, am I obligated? Am I permitted to put my own life at risk in order to save another person? So there is a ruling in the Talmud Yerushalmi. Now here, I'm sure you'll hear from other classes. I'm not really giving you a Gemara class here, but I'm sure you have heard over the years that we have two Talmuds. The primary Talmud that is the main halachic source for uh, halachic decision-making is the Talmud that was completed in Babylonia, that's Iraq, around the year 600. And that is kind of the source of the Shulchan Aruch and the source of all halachic decision-making. However, there was an earlier Talmud that was completed in Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, and that is called the Talmud Yushalmi. Both of them are commentaries on the same Mishnah. The Mishnah was completed the year 200. Jerusalem Talmud was completed the year 400. The Babylonian Talmud was completed in the year 600. So it's a 200, 400, 600. The Mishnah is the same for both of these works, but the commentaries are obviously going to be different. Now, for various very, very interesting historical reasons, the Babylonian Talmud became much more dominant in halachic decision-making than the Jerusalem Talmud. So as a result, when there is a contradiction between the Babylonian Talmud and the Jerusalem Talmud, the halacha almost always follows the Babylonian Talmud. So when we talk about Gemara, you're going to be learning Gemara, you'll be learning the Babylonian Talmud. However, it is also true that if the Babylonian Talmud is silent and the Jerusalem Talmud says something, we will follow the Jerusalem Talmud when it is not contradicted by the Babylonian Talmud. And here is what the Jerusalem Talmud says. The Jerusalem Talmud says, it is a davar pashut. It is obvious that you don't have to give your life to save another person. Meaning the soldier who dives on a grenade knowing he's going to die. Or the teacher who blocks the bullets so the children are spared is certainly a righteous, saintly, holy individual. But 
Halacha does not require a suicide mission. Halacha actually would permit the teacher trying to escape or the soldier trying to escape. It's not mandatory to give your life to save another person. But the Talmud Yerushalmi says, if you're only putting yourself at risk, in other words, you're putting yourself in what is called a safek sakana. Safek sakana means a doubtful case of danger, but it's not a certain danger. And by putting yourself in a doubtful danger, you can help a person who certainly will die if you don't help him. The Talmud Yerushalmi says, the person should put himself in doubt in order to help a person who is certainly in a dangerous situation who will die without your intervention or somebody else's intervention. So you understand what the Yerushalmi is saying? The Yerushalmi is saying that if you're going to certainly get killed, you don't have to put yourself in that situation. But if you're putting yourself in what is called a doubtful state of danger, in order to help somebody that is in a definitive state of danger, you are chayav to do so. Now, this is the ruling of the Yushalmi. What's important to know is the Babylonian Talmud does not directly address the question. So if we were to follow the Yushalmi, let's apply this analysis to giving a kidney. Now, it's true that a human being can certainly survive with one kidney. And many people who have given kidneys are doing Baruch Hashem, they're doing quite well. And both the recipient and the donor are in good health. But it is also true that when you put yourself, when you give a kidney, a vital organ, you are putting yourself at some level of risk, right? The, 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 the one kidney that you're left with might be overstressed. Or the surgery itself may sometimes be dangerous, anesthesia and the like. There may be, there may be post-operative consequences. So consequently, the way halacha uh, has cubbyholed the situation is a person who gives a vital organ like a kidney or a partial liver is putting himself not in a definitive sakana, but a safek sakana, meaning a safek, meaning it's a doubt. There's the possibility of risk. On the other hand, the person who needs the kidney is in a definitive state of sakana because without a transplant, that person for sure is going to die. So based on the Talmud Yerushalmi, that I am chayav, Chayav is obligated. I am Chayav to put myself this Sakana in order to extricate, suffix Sakana, in order to extricate that other person from a Vadai Sakana, it would appear based on the Talmud Yerushalmi that a person is halach, if they're in reasonable health, a person is halachically obligated to donate a kidney and how much more so bone marrow or blood that potentially could save a life. Now this would come out from the Yushalmi. So according to the Yushalmi, it would turn out that uh, kidney donation, partial liver donation, and kalvachomer, how much more so, a fortiori, blood and bone marrow that are needed for life-saving purposes 
would be a mandatory obligation simply because at most you're putting yourself in safek satana and the Talmud Yerushalmi says a person is obligated to put themselves in safek satana in order to extricate somebody from what is called vadai satana. Now again, please keep in mind, I'm drawing this conclusion based on the Talmud Yerushalmi. Now it's very important to know that because if it can be shown that the Talmud Bavli disagrees, then you will recall that when there's a machlokas between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, we always follow the Bavli, right? So please keep that in the back of your mind as we're talking, because right now I am simply drawing the implications from the Talmud Yerushalmi, but that is not necessarily going to be the halacha. Now, let me stop right there. If the Talmud Yerushalmi says it is mandatory to give an organ that could save a person who is in definitive sakana, meaning he's going to die without this. He may die even with it, but he will definitely die without it. Is there a difference between donating a kidney to a Jew or donating a kidney to a non-Jew? This is always going to be a very difficult question, and it's a little hard to even discuss because of political correctness and, and everything else. Uh, but again, I have to try to be uh, as objective and as faithful to the halacha that I can. And let me point out that although you are certainly not allowed to kill a non-Jew, killing a non-Jew is murder, and uh, it is a violation of the Ten Commandments, no question about that, and never, never think the opposite. But the affirmative obligation of putting yourself at risk is a unique obligation that is only owed towards a fellow Jew. And that's because of the wording in the verse of Leviticus. Let's compare the Ten Commandments with the wording of a, the verse in Leviticus. The Ten Commandments, it simply says, thou shalt not kill, or technically thou shalt not murder is the better translation. So obviously it doesn't differentiate between Jew and non-Jew, so I'm not allowed to murder any human being. That's fine. In Leviticus though, which is the obligation to save a person in distress, it says, this is Leviticus chapter 19, lo ta'amot al dam re'acha, which means don't stand by idly over your neighbor's blood. Re'echa, re'echa, your neighbor, your friend. Now note that here, when it comes to saving somebody, meaning giving an organ, saving somebody, the Torah does use a specific object of your benevolence. And it uses the word reyecha, your neighbor, your friend. And that is a term halachically that is normally limited to a fellow Jew. Which means to say, you might be allowed to give an organ to save a non-Jew. I'm not saying you're not allowed to. But to posit that there's an obligation, probably not because the source of the obligation would be Leviticus 19. And Leviticus 19 uses the Lashon of Re'echa, and Re'echa is always a reference specifically to my obligations to a fellow Jew. Okay, 
So be it as it may, therefore, uh, when we learn the Talmud Yerushalmi, what emerges is the following. I am halachically obligated to donate a kidney or a partial liver or blood or bone marrow to a fellow Jew who would otherwise die without this donation. And even if it puts me at some risk, as long as it's not a suicide type of thing, even if it puts me at some rich, risk, it is the position of the Talmud Yerushalmi that I am mechuyav. Mechuyav means I am obligated, as it were, to put myself at a suffix. Suffix means a doubtful satana to extricate somebody from a suffix sakana. Uh, on the other hand, if the recipient is a non-Jew, I would have no such obligation. Now that is the conclusion that emerges from the Jerusalem Talmud. Question is, does the Babylonian Talmud disagree with that premise? Because if the Babylonian Talmud disagrees with that premise, we're gonna follow the Babylonian Talmud. If on the other hand, the Babylonian Talmud does not disagree, does not, it does not simply address the matter, then we would go with the Yerushalmi. So is there anything in the Babylonian Talmud that would address this question? So there actually is, and this is a very, very famous case, but it's hard to fully understand what the implications are. Uh, this is a case, I think you probably have heard of this case before. Uh, two people are wandering in the desert and uh, they only have enough water. Well, let's assume that uh, they only have enough water that could keep one of them alive until they get to their destination. So the dilemma is, if they split the water equally, both people are likely to die before they get to their destination. If, on the other hand, one person drinks the water, then the other guy is going to die right away. But the one who drinks the water is going to get to his destination. So the question is, what do you do with water? Let, let's imagine, for example, that uh, they are uh, two days away from a destination. Uh, they're both uh, dying of thirst. And uh, it's, as far as they know, of course, there might be an airplane, there might be a helicopter, they might find a well, who knows. But as far as they could see, there is no other water that's going to come in. So is it better to split the water? So each person lives a little bit longer, but both are going to die. Or to one guy drink the water, so he will survive but the other person is going to die earlier than he otherwise would have. Interesting question. There is, so this is a machlokas in the Babylonian Talmud. According to Ben Patura, Ben Patura is a rabbi that's only mentioned once. This is the only time he's mentioned in the whole Talmud. Ben Patura says, since you don't have the right to assume that one life is more important than the other life, all lives are equally beloved by God. You must split the water. And each one drinks half the water. And even if that means that they're both going to die before they reach the destination point, 
it is better that both would die than one person takes the water and condemns the other person to an earlier death. This is what Ben Patura says. But the great Rabbi Akiva argues. The great Rabbi Akiva argues kind of a utilitarian calculus. If I split the water, there will be two deaths, albeit a little later on. If one person drinks the water, then one person will die, but that person would have died either way, even if he would have had half the water. And therefore, Rabbi Akiva says, it is better that one person should live even if the other person would die. Now, keep in mind, Rabbi Akiva's situation is where I'm in possession of the water, meaning if I have the water, I get to drink it. I certainly cannot take the water away from you. If I take the water away from you, it's as if I'm a murderer. But Rabbi Akiva says, if I have the water, I can keep it for myself. Now, in this machlokas, Ben Patura and Rabbi Akiva, the halacha is very, very clear that we follow Rabbi Akiva. In other words, basically, I drink all the water. Now, the truth of the matter is, it's very hard to understand Ben Patura. What is Ben Patura's rationale? Essentially, Ben Patura seems to be legitimizing suicide. I have enough water to keep me alive. Ben Patura says, even though I have enough water to keep me alive, I got to split it with you. Isn't that like killing myself to give you some partial life? So the answer has to be, and you'll see this is a bit of a subtle, complicated process, that Ben Patura is not talking about death will be a certainty. He's talking about risking your life to save another person. Meaning like this, if I drink all the water, for sure, I'll get to safety. But if for sure I'll get to safety, you're gonna die. If I split the water, I'm putting myself at a greater risk that I will not get to safety, but there's still a chance. So seen in this light, this is a redefinition of the hypothetical. It turns out that the Machlokas Ben Patura and Rabbi Akiva is exactly what the Yushalmi is talking about. Do I, must I put myself at risk to save somebody else from a certain death? Because if I don't give him the water, he for sure is going to die. If I split the water, I'm putting myself in danger, but perhaps I will save him. So Ben Patura is following the Yerushalmi's teaching that I have to put myself at risk to save you from a certain danger. Rabbi Akiva's point is, I don't. Now, so it turns out the following. This is, again, this is a little complicated, I appreciate. And that is, if the halacha is always like Rabbi Akiva, and that's a general rule, it turns out that Rabbi Akiva's statement that I don't have to split the water and put myself at risk in order to save you, even though without the water, you're going to die for sure, but I'll be able to reach safety, means that Rabbi Akiva, as recorded in the Babylonian Talmud, implicitly disagrees 
with the premise of the Jerusalem Talmud. So now this changes everything. If the Talmud Yerushalmi says, I'm obligated to give a kidney and put myself at risk in order to save another person's life, that's what the Yerushalmi would say, at least another Jewish person's life, it would turn out that according to Rabbi Akiva, as recorded in the Babylonian Talmud, I'm not obligated to put myself at risk. So once we've created through interpretation, a machlokas between the Bavli and the Yerushalmi, the halacha would actually follow the Bavli and not the Yerushalmi. So through a lot of twists and turns, it would turn out that the halacha is you don't have to put yourself at risk to save another person. And indeed that is the din. If you were to ask me, am I obligated to donate a kidney to save another person's life? The short answer is you are not obligated to do so because it is putting yourself at risk. But nevertheless, it is an act of charity, an act of compassion, an act of benevolence. We are not denying the spiritual greatness of such an act, but it cannot be classified as a mandatory obligation because it does put you at risk. And according to the uh, Talmud Bavli in Rabbi Akiva's view, just as you're not obligated to split the water because that's putting you at risk of death, even though the other person will die for sure without the water, same thing with the kidney. Giving a kidney is like splitting the water. And therefore, according to Rabbi Akiva, I do not have to split the water. But, but nevertheless, I'm allowed to. And it's considered to be uh, meritorious. So based on this, let me just um, share with you an interesting case. And you may have heard of this case. This case did not involve uh, Jewish people. It involved non-Jews. And it was a famous case uh, a number of years ago. And then it became a book and it became a movie and a made-for-TV uh, special. And that is uh, the, the uh, story, the saga of the um, of a family, the Ayala family, non-Jews, in which uh, they had a daughter that had leukemia and the daughter needed a bone marrow transplant. And uh, there were no donors. The parents were not compatible donors and there were no compatible donors on the bone marrow registry. So the parents came up with this ingenious idea. Why don't we try having a baby? And maybe the baby will be a compatible donor for her older sister. Now, this was quite a remarkable story because number one, uh, the mother was over 40. Number two, she was undergoing uh, chemotherapy for breast cancer. So she had to go into remission before she could have a child. Number three, dad had a vasectomy and the vasectomy would have to be surgically reversed, which is only a 40% chance of success. And even if they had a child, who says the child will be a compatible donor if both parents are not compatible donors? But lo and behold, amazingly, Hashem was so good to them. The vasectomy was reversed. Mom went into remission. Mom conceived. And nine months later, gave birth to a beautiful girl. And this girl was a 100% compatible donor 
So when she was only a few weeks old, she went through bone marrow surgery to remove bone marrow. And it was given to her uh, sister. And lo and behold, sister did very well. And you would think there's a happy ending. I understand, unfortunately, that there were various problems. And eventually, uh, baby sister brought a lawsuit against her parents for assault and battery because this was an unauthorized uh, removal of bone marrow from her without her consent. So whatever it is, there were legal issues at the end there. And obviously, the relationship with the family is not all that it could be. But people at the time were raising all sorts of ethical questions. Is it ethical to conceive a child and then use that child as a source of bone marrow to give to a sibling? Is that a denigration of human dignity somehow? Because you're using people as objects to help other people. And especially that this was a baby, this was a non-consenting person. So from the standpoint of halacha, if this would have been a Jewish law issue, it actually would have been permitted because you're saving a life. But let me give you another case which wouldn't have been permitted, and it's fascinating to see the difference. And this was an actual case in Israel. A uh, teenager needed a kidney transplant. And without a kidney transplant, he would die because dialysis could only last up to a certain point. And afterwards, without a, a new kidney, he would not be able to survive. Once again, you need a compatible donor. And the only compatible donor was a sibling who was 11 or 12 years old. The sibling wanted to give a kidney to his older brother. And the parents wanted the sibling to give a kidney to the older brother. Everybody seems to be okay with this. But they were religious people and they were committed to halacha. And they asked a question whether this was permitted. And the somewhat surprising answer that might really, really surprise you, hit you for a loop, is since there is no obligation to put yourself at risk to save another person's life. There's no obligation. It's not a mitzvah. It is optional. As a result, it can only be done with consent, full informed consent, because it's not an obligation. It has to be something you decide to do of your own volition. And a minor who is below the age of consent, below bar mitzvah, is not capable of legal consent. And even though in most medical decision-making for minors, parents have the right to make the decision for the minors, right? I can decide if my five-year-old should have his tonsils out, but parental authority is limited to where it's for the best interest of the child. The child has a medical need, but a parent does not have the right to endanger a minor child in order to save or hurt or benefit another child. So as a result, the Rabbanut in Israel Paskind that the minor would not be allowed to donate a kidney, even though the parents wanted and the minor wanted. 
And I believe it was a very sad story that the older brother died as a result. Now, I imagine a story like this horrifies you, but let me point out that even under the secular law of the United States, minors are normally not able, they can give blood, but minors cannot give vital organs, including kidneys. And let me remind you as well that the definition of a minor under American law is either under 18 or maybe even under 21. So in effect, Jewish law is more lenient. Jewish law would allow a 13-year-old to donate a kidney, a 12-year-old girl, a 13-year-old boy to donate a kidney. Secular law would not. So in a case like this, the minor was not allowed to donate the kidney because he would be putting himself in sakana without having the ability to make an informed consent. So now, let me just ask you this question. So I gave you a case where we, were not, we are not allowed to take a kidney from a 12-year-old boy who wants to give it. But then I gave you a minute ago the Ayala case where we take bone marrow from a six-week-old baby who certainly didn't consent. So the question is, can, can I take the bone marrow from a six-week-old without her consent, but I can't take the kidney from a 12-year-old who wants to give? But the difference is a risk. The difference is that removal of the kidney is considered to be a potential risk to life. And even if the risk is not great, uh, you are not obligated to put your life at risk in order to save another person. It must be done consensually because that's what you want to do. And a katan, a child below bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah, is not capable of consent, nor are the parents capable of that consent. But in the case of bone marrow, there is substantially no risk at all. Now it's true that obviously anything you do to a newborn baby is a little risky, a little too much anesthesia, and God forbid things can go wrong. So there is a certain unavoidable risk, but the risk is very, 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 very small. And as a result, as long as you're not putting somebody at serious risk of their life, the halacha would say the imperatives of saving somebody else would be paramount in that case. Now, the truth of the matter is, in the case of the kidney, I would make the argument that, in other words, the point that the, the Rabbanim made was that this is not a surgery that benefits the young boy. It only benefits the older brother. And parents don't have the right to put one kid at risk for the benefit of another kid. That's the way the Psak went. I might have argued it a different way. I might have said, I agree with that premise, but I think for a brother to save a brother is not only a benefit to the one that's being saved, it's also a great, great benefit to the one that's donating. And this is for two reasons. Number one, it gives him a sibling. It's not like giving a kidney to a stranger. Giving a kidney to a stranger is a different story, but this is saving a member of your family. Uh, number, so number one, uh, it's beneficial to the kid because he has a brother. And number two, although it's very, very unfair, but I think there's a strong probability just knowing family dynamics, 
that if this kid could have saved his older brother and he didn't, and the older brother died, even though it's not the kid's fault, there's going to be a certain resentment towards this child who did not save his brother, and the child himself may suffer a lot of guilt. So in that particular psak, we could have tweaked it a little bit, and we could have justified it on the grounds that this is not only a benefit for the recipient, it's also a benefit for the donor, which may be less so if you're giving a kidney to a stranger, that may be true. But nevertheless, the principle is still true, and that is a katan is not able to make these medical decisions putting himself at risk, and parents can make a medical decision for a child only if it's for the child's benefit and not if it's for the benefit of somebody else. I can't put my child at risk in order to save me. I can put myself at risk to save somebody else. I cannot put my child at risk to save me or somebody else. I can only put my child at risk to save my child. My child is facing a danger. I could authorize surgery that, that might be dangerous and the like. Now, so it seems to be the following. So it seems to be when all of the dust settles, the bottom line is you're not halachically obligated to give a kidney, although it's a good thing to do. On the other hand, it would seem, would it not, that when it comes to bone marrow and blood, which does not pose a danger to you, at worst, it's an inconvenience. At worst, you may be weak a little bit or suffer some pain, but it would appear that if you're able to save a life, uh, you should very definitely participate in the bone marrow and the blood transfusion dr uh, drives, at least if the person who needs it is a fellow Jew. I mean, I've heard people who have refused to, uh, they're compatible donors in a bone marrow registry, and they have refused to participate because they're going to have to miss work for a few days, and uh, they don't want to lose their salary. Now, I think that that's very, very wrong. Now, on one hand, I think the Jewish community ought to subsidize it, meaning to say, you know, if you're going to lose money, we ought to pay as a community, we ought to make up the money that you're losing. But on the other hand, to say that I don't want to save a life because I'm going to lose money does not appear to be a morally correct response. Now, if there are more than one compatible donor, then you may have the right to say, why does it have to be me? Let it be somebody else who doesn't have the same hardship. But sometimes you might be the only one. And if you're the only one, you don't have to risk your life to save somebody, but you do have to be willing to give up money and give up income. And as I indicated, it's very, very important that the Jewish community be sure that people don't suffer because of these decisions. So. Uh, if somebody's going to lose money, we should make it up to them. But even if we don't, it would appear that they're chayev, they're obligated to incur the cost. All righty, so I think we'll stop here. Uh, you all be well and have a good week. And uh, take care. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you. 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 Thank you.